Hannah Young, and you're listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Isnick, sponsored by Philanthropic Impact. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Usnick. Today, we have as our guest, Michael Wenso, who is the leader of the band Wenso and the Shakes. He's an artist, he's an activist, and he's a recent friend who I met here in the Hudson Valley at Bard College when he and his troupe presented the Black Sound of Music, which we'll talk a little bit about later today. Michael Wenso, welcome to The Caring Economy. How are you doing? Lovely to see you. How are you doing today? <laughs> very well. I'm very grateful for your time. I also am proud to tell our listeners today that we're going to do our first actual YouTube post and include it on a YouTube channel. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, Michael, tell us a little bit about Michael Muenzo. I know you. You were born in, in Sierra Leone. You actually were reared in London, and then you eventually made your way to New York. What's uh, Give us like the two-minute digest of your life and how you got where you got. Well, I was born in Sierra Leone. My mother is Nigerian and Sierra Leone. My father was Zambian and South African, and they met in London uh, before I was born. And sadly, my father's mother was dying. So he went back to Zambia and my mother decided to be with her mother in Sierra Leone and have me there. So I was raised there and reared as a West African Nigerian boy under the Yoruba tradition and we moved to Nigeria and we lived in Ghana too for a little while because my grandmother was married to a Ghanaian before uh, my maternal grandfather. Then my mother, you know, met this beautiful human being called Roger Harrington, who she fell in love with and they got married and moved to London. And, and, and sadly, a, a little bit after that, he died in a car crash. My mother was driving. You know, I was very lucky at this incredible father figure came into our lives, you know, my, me and my mother's life, who was, you know, we were in a very traumatic time of our lives. And this guy, Thomas Blowfield, came into our lives. He was my mother's first landlord years before I was born in London, uh, where she was living. And he came back into our lives and, and he became really a father figure. And, and then a little bit after that, my mother was deported back to Nigeria. And that gentleman, uh, Thomas Blowfield, basically adopted me. And he was this unique ex-maths teacher who was uh, retired and really loved Black music, you know, in a certain way, and used his love to kind of inspire me to become a musician, you know, and that's how I learned how to play the trombone and piano, and that's how I really got on this journey of being this, this musical artist. And, and was he a Black man or a... He was a white man. He was a white man. You know, I was, the other day, I was talking to a friend that, and I'm staying in her house, and I was saying to that a lot of the father figures you know, actually were also white, yeah. you know, but the musical figures were black. I was lucky to be around James Brown and, and he, you know, he was an incredible grandfather, father figure, you know, Wynton Marcellus, you know, who I got very close with. He was like a father, but then there was an aspect of, you know, Tom and, and, and Roger who were also white, you know, so it's interesting to look at, you know, to look at your childhood and understand things about yourself as, as you grow. Yeah, and certainly having someone, anyone present and engaged with you as a child is really critical, right? And I wonder, you know, because I mean, I always was a queer, you know, boy, but then as I evolved into a queer man, you know, I lived with this one, this guy, you know, and nothing ever untoward happened in any kind of way, but just that I lived as a child with one man. Yeah, uh, a straight white man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And and that that's that's... That's different, you know? So, so I'm, I'm looking at myself a lot. 
Good. Before we stick with the UK, though, I want to go back because I moved all around the US as a kid with my dad's job, who we've talked about on this interview, when I uh, on the show when I've interviewed him. All those countries in Africa you discussed, like Sierra Leone and Zambia and Nigeria, what is it like to move within Africa as an African? Is it is it like in the United States where, oh, they might have a twang in their accent, but that's kind of it? Or are there significant differences to move within Africa from one country to the next? Or is it more about your tribes even that decide what's what? It's kind of, yeah, there's, there's aspects of, 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 of your tribes. You know, there's the aspect of West Africa, East Africa, South Africa, all of those different, you know, entities within Africanness, you know, the tribal aspect, the countries between them, you know, what is the differences between the, the, the foods, the spice, you know, I was just, again, another thing I was thinking the other day, I was just talking about it to, to this friend about just in what, what the colonization did to the spice of different African countries. You know, me and my friend, we were just saying how, like, particularly the the, the, the Kenyans and the Zambians, the food is is not as is not as funky as as the West African spice or there's Malay, you know. So just all of those differences, you yeah. know, which which is so so there's there's it's it, it's it's so deep. Yeah, you're not just African. There's a, there's a whole aspect of your shit. Colonial people before that. Are there general sort of statements that one can make about West Africa versus uh, South Southern Africa versus East Africa or? Yeah, you can say stuff. I don't know if I'd want to say it here and let other African people hear it. Yeah, you would say West Africans are like this, you know, like I, we, I was, we was, again yesterday. It's so funny. A lot of things we're talking about, we're talking about here. You know, I was saying, you know, we were talking about the food and the differences in the food and the spice. And then also how is that? pertain to the personalities too yeah of like of like west africans are loud they you know nigerians Ghanaians. yeah they're loud they're loud people now the kenyans and ugandans they're not a nigerian man you yeah. know what i mean right. you know they, they're more reserved but but uh but oh it's actually vuyo who you heard we, oh you, the wonderful singer you heard oh, the sound yeah. of yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 he's 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 shy he doesn't uh, maybe he yeah but but we say, but no. So there is all of that. Yeah, I would say, I would say Ghanaians, you know, they have a different thing. I mean, I'm going to give you some some unique stuff now. I mean, Ghanaians are well, they were they have another aspect of how colonization hit them. That the Nigerians were lucky; they kept their spirituality out of most of the colonized tr- shakes things. South Africans, even that, they lost it deeper, you know, like to keep their, their, the gods who their who their spirituality. Nigeria, because all of that is coming from West Africa, it was really the Brazilians and the Cubans that kept the spirituality of West Africa in a way in the world that allowed it to be so present now, you know what I mean? Where a lot of the other parts of Africa, it wasn't that, they didn't have that fortunate vibe. Because I think West Africa, Nigeria particularly kept, even though it's Christian and it's Muslim, but it's funny. It's so weird. It's like more people practice African spirituality out of Nigeria than actually Nigerians. But oh, that's what kept it alive in the world too. You yeah. know, yeah, the the yeah. Yoruba spirituality. So it's so it's so what the colonization did and 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 and, and everything. It's just you know that's why I say it's like there's there's what the slavery did mm-hmm. for the Afro American, but what the colonization did for the African is another kind of thing. It isn't that thing, 
what happened to our brothers in this country and sisters. Let's take that. I'm, let's jump, jump right into it. The work you're doing on anti-racism. For our listeners first, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, what you do in addition to music or with the music. Uh, yeah, how yeah. You, you are, are following your purpose. So yeah, talk a little yeah. bit about that. You know, I was a trombonist. You know, so I thought I was just going to be a trombonist, but I always knew that I was going to be more than that because I was lucky to meet people like James Brown and they let me go on stage with them. So I was singing, I was dancing and then, you know, and then meeting Winton at Marcellus at like 18, 19 and coming to New York as a young man. And then, you know, then working at a place like Ronnie Scott's this jazz club, then I'm seeing me, I'm seeing myself more than just a singer musician. Now I'm curating. Now that aspect is just, you know, I'm booking bands. I'm, I'm seeing that I have a power that is and that also, you know, can empower musicians. And that Winton comes, sees this vibe that I've curated at this jazz club. He says, this is great. Come to Jazz in the Gassana. It gives you a job, you know, that also teaches you about administration, even though you just thought you were coming here just to kind of like book the jazz club and sing a few tunes on a Friday, Saturday, you know. And then Winton's like, you better be in the, in the office 9 a.m. and come to every meeting and learn about this and learn about that. And you're, you're rejecting it, but then you're realizing, whoa, there's other tools. So that's happening, you know, like you're realizing uh, your, you know, Winton empowers you to see yourself more than a musician. And I, you know, and you're fighting. And then, you know, Jazz at Lincoln Center was a university, a university of how to see music as a vehicle to like do more than just off the stage. You're learning about people with money, New York society, how to talk to people. Watching Winton is a degree in itself. This man who's been able to raise this institution that's servicing jazz that has been going on the war for 30 years and he's taking it out Lincoln. You know, that, that in itself is like, whoa, you know, who's figured how to do that? So that was a university uh, that then really propelled me into where I am now, you know, meeting, uh, also creating this community of musicians around myself that came from Jazz and Lincoln Center and then uh, going out into the world of that community, creating the band, went so on the shakes. And then Jonna, who's my creative partner, who we were all, you know, under Winton and the sun, we were like Winton's kids. And then me and him connect and then we start developing and creating a way that allows us to curate shows around performing arts centers in a way mm-hmm. you know we're doing that it's happening and then to you know the pandemic comes and it's like <laughs> and that changes and then we start this company electric route and then this is now this thing has allowed us to now see more of ourselves in what artist-led anti-racism now that happens because we meet two incredible i think you met the you saw them we brought them on stage maybe or we yes. honored them that those yeah yeah sharifa ali and camille along those these incredible 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 spirits that 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 taught me and john how to do it you know they curated this this unique invention to 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 use and heal but how how does it work if artists do it so we're not going to the like god help us hr person that teaches you this is you know it's a, it's a genius idea you know and and sharif and her created this 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 incredible thing that is is you know it just hits people in a different way where it's like we we, we teach you we heal you but we also guide you you know to to understanding yourself and and, and you know so yeah. mm-hmm, so bard you know which was which was really the first step you know when that pandemic hit I realized what 
the impact of George Floyd will have in the world. It will make people open up the doors. It will, it will give people the ability to say black in a way that you know me and Jono could never. So we, we started all the places that we played, Bard everywhere. We, I hit them up, said, let's talk. Bard came back, you know, that came out of one gig. They wanted to book us and the pandemic came and it got canceled when, I, when, when the pandemic was shaking. I said, let's hit them up. I met with them. You know, that turned into our first artist-led anti-racism. Before we go further on the trajectory, tell us about, like your work is profoundly anti-racist. It's mm. bridge building in my view. You're definitely, mm. like the Black Sound of Music could have been seen as cultural appropriation or something that was um, belittling or certainly not celebratory. But in fact, as someone yeah. who always loved the Sound of Music, schmaltzy as it is, um, it was so respectful and a celebration. And it was, if you like the sound of music, you're gonna like it. And if you like jazz or scat, you're gonna like it. And everyone did, it was pure delight. And so I thought what happened in that audience that night was a real shared appreciation for music and each other in a way that was to your point, sort of healing and revelatory right like it's not like, like what does the black sound of music connote for people and what does it turn out to be well everyone was smiling throughout right yeah yeah using you really using the aspect of afrofuturism you know how do we create a new world that was predominantly based in whiteness you know yeah. which is a rogers you know which is that and how do you how do you how do you make everyone see the real world yeah. You know, you just touched on a word we should share with our listeners. I only learned about it last year from my friends, Sineve Carlino and Clive Gillinson at Carnegie Hall. But they yep, are yep. a whole festival around Africa. We did it. We were part of the festival. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us what Afrofuturism is. If you love Palmer Funkadelic, if you've seen Black Panther, if you have seen things that reimagine uh, a, a world where blackness exists with an Africanism, but also uh, futuristic, you know, sci-fi, uh, different worlds of medium, you know, mix it. That is, that, that is the beauty of what Afrofuturism is. It is an energy that lets us create a new world that exists within blackness and within uh, a way that is able to retune and almost envision newer ways for us to live. You know, as as we as we as we create a new world that doesn't erase, because a lot of the world erases blackness. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, and that's what the sound of music was. It's like, yes, this was based in whiteness, but now if you put all of that black art and black culture and all the blues and the t and how does it sound? It was amazing. So, I also think there's the tenor of optimism with that, right? It's it's not victimhood it's not tied to the past it doesn't ignore the past but it's very much about moving forward based on who we are and where we're going right and it's inclusive of people like me who are white yeah you know i'm not you know the necessarily an originator of afrofuturism it seems like it's that's the reason carnegie hall and all these art institutions in new york got behind it because it is for all not just for one niche is that fair I would, I would, yeah, I would say that we have been conditioned to only see the world in one way. 
the Afrofuturism, really, I think for white people, it, it, it's non-threatening. Even though, I mean, even though you get, you know, you get a, you know, like a director, like, like, like Oliver Stone say something about, you know, Black Panther saying, well, that, that doesn't, you know, that, that doesn't make, what did he say? He say something like, you know, a Black superhero, you know, I don't, you know, like he, ha- of course he's going to say that because he never saw that, you know? So it's also, it's, 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 but it's also, mixing all of the worlds that haven't been able to ever mix with blackness sci-fi space you know what i mean like you know and mixing that in the world where it's like yeah but it also should it should do what it should what it's doing in a sense that you're saying i'm a white man i didn't feel like it was like you know and i think it that's what that's what its power is is it's able to i mean the true spirit of that is the true spirit of black people and, I, and, 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 Af- and the African spirit. Yeah, it's fluid. Because we're focused particularly on the, the business community. Tell us a little bit about how either your, your programming or philosophy, how does a business person tap into that, a business leader? You cited George Floyd, which has hit us all pretty hard mm-hmm. two years plus on. Some brands are really stepping up on social justice issues. I've had Damon Jones on from P&G. He's been awesome. But I wonder how can this... Do you get hired from corporations to come? Yeah, we we did some work with uh, WNET. They asked us to do some some some, some anti racism work. We're trying to not, you know, institutions are great, you know, universities. That's been the main shape, but we, we want we need it to be applied to all businesses because we're trying to change people to be like, okay, what if CBS hires us and we do it with the artist led energy? We're doing it. You're teaching a whole new way to do this thing. That yeah. isn't the God help us, you know, everyone's got to go to the hate, you know, two weeks, you know, anti-racist, you know, and it's horrible and it's fun, it's just not nice. You know, this is a whole nother way. And because it is, mu- the vehicle is music and art, it's for everybody. You know, I go in and I play Louis Armstrong and I, and I ask, you know, I'll, I'll be, what do you feel? What are you hearing? How is that making you feel about this time, this time we're in? So it's very deep. So without revealing your secret sauce, you go and you do Armstrong, but what else happens in those sessions? Oh, it's, 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 it's also allowing, okay, so first we set up community agreements. We, we set up a way that, okay, a language, mm-hmm. you know, because that's the, because that's the main, the, 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 the Western language has, has prisoned us, you know, so it's almost how do we retune language in a way that allows us to see a new world? Mm-hmm. So a lot of things we work on is language, uh, agreements that are set up, you know, it, it, over the four-day experience, you know, where people start uh, seeing themselves, putting people in groups, setting situations up for people to see themselves. You know, we had a great one when we did uh, it for Miami University. This was a professor of art. And he, you know, after two days, he said, you know, I got to say something that um, I realize everything we are teaching is from the European lens. I said, what do you mean? He says, I realize that Every person, every student has to learn to paint in that way. The way we 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 do examinations is that you have to know all of this stuff and not, and it just seeing. I knew it, I was like, yeah, this is it. But seeing this professor like have it, you know, after years and go, it's just like mm-hmm. the light goes on. Yeah. So those are the things that happen. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, I. Uh... I'd like to think that you're going to continue to flourish. Tell us a little bit about your upcoming schedule for the next year or so. You know, we're in a nice little break period because we just, you know, I was in basically, I was in Burlington, Vermont for the whole of June. 
and some of May because we, we put together the whole of the, the, the annual festival they do every year, which takes over the whole town. That was an incredible thing for us, Electric Route, to really do because it allowed us to kind of take, you know, that community that you saw at Bard, but take them to a town for like 10 days mm-hmm. and really change the artist impact in a festival. You know, like instead of like, you know, normally it's very transactional, you know, all of this stuff, music, even like, you know, how you book musicians, it's boom, boom, bash to bash, you know, but now what do you do now if you take 25 musicians to a town, you keep them there for 10 days, you know, what happens then? How do they connect with the community? So that was an amazing thing for us to experiment with creative, you know, with our creativity and stuff like that. So, um, and then, you know, we, when we're going back uh, out and doing, we're doing this, residency at the Cranet Center that's in Cham- uh, University of Champaign in Illinois because that's what's been happening too we uh, the pandemic allowed us to not make these experiences transactional it allowed us now we go to Penn State University we go to Bard we go to uh, Champaign uh, University of Illinois and we stayed there for a week and me and Jono and maybe Sharifa Ali or Camila Long will go into classes and teach and talk about all these things around blackness and music and art. And then the band comes on Wednesday, we might do a free show in the community. This is what's happening in, in Champaign next month. And then, then Thursday we do, you know, going to the schools and then Saturday we do the big gig in the hall. So we that's, we've changed the way we want to impact with communities. So it's not just you go there one day and you're in and out, you're there for a time and you really connect. Ladies and gentlemen, today I'm really happy to have Michael Muenso on. He is the leader of the band Muenso and the Shakes. He's an artist, he's an activist, he's a friend. Michael, um, can, you, can you tell us when you go into these situations, whether it's Burlington, Vermont or Penn State, you're always going to have detractors. I would like to think, well, I suspect most people are quote unquote on their best behavior and putting their best public face on. So maybe to some degree people are polite, but you must sense or actually encounter detractors who think that this anti-racism work is hooey or they're not a racist and they don't need to declare anything. How, mm-hmm. how do you deal with that kind of negativity when it comes at you? You have to lead with love, you know, like, you know, you have to go to that person and say, and say what's happening, you know? And if, if, they, if it's not what's happening, you have to set it up that they see, they, it gets revealed to them in, they, it gets revealed to them, you know? So always lead with love. Um, you know, there's always, there's, even now it's always still, you know, you say black music and people like, you just, you know, like we were in a meeting, we were trying to get some, 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 some money from someone the other day to do some stuff. And the guy says, and he's deep. He was a guy that, you know, like loves jazz music deeply. And then he felt he just had to say, well, it's all music, isn't it? And I was just, I was like, yeah. You know, why do why do I have to feel ashamed of saying it's black music and you have to make it be something weird? But no, it's just you have to you're going to deal with it. You're going to. And it, you, and even through everything that's happened in you know the last two years with rate, you can even see now the veil is coming up. People are, are kind of sliding back. Yeah. You know, you know, maybe with diversity, maybe the, the people are sliding back. You can see it. Yeah, I'm laughing. I'm reminded of a story, if you'll indulge me for a moment. Um, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I I was at Christie's and I was running communications. I I was going to London on a business trip and on the flight over, um, I I, I was seated next to Jesse Norman and I knew instantly and I offered to help her put her bag up. And when I put the bag up and saw the JN initials, on, I said, I just want to, I know who you are. 
I just want you to know, I'll leave you alone. If I, I just want to say, I really admire your work and what you've done. And she, oh, thank you so much. She was very polite. Turns out she couldn't sleep on flights. She would work throughout the night. But this elderly English couple who were retirees were across the aisle and they overheard the conversation. And they said, oh, you're a singer. Said, do you sing jazz? And she said, and she said, why, yes, I do. She was so gracious. And I, you know, kudos to everyone on that is how I took it because they were genuinely interested in her. They had certain a lens at which they approached her, but she rolled with it. And it was just a lovely memory I'll cherish because wow. try and find people where they are on that sort of spectrum of caring and work with it, right? So like you're embracing these people who might be detractors and you say, you know, let's talk, <laughs> see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Do you also find that that veil you referred to, is that also a sense that you're not alone now doing the work, that some of the other people in those rooms or in those sessions with you are there with you and willing it forward? So they'll help you engage that detractor to say, you know, actually, Guy, you're not really seeing this the way some of us are. So it's, it's not just you, the teacher, but it's... No, uh, no. And that's the great thing about, I must admit, Jonah, who you met, he is that white looking guy. He's the one who kind of, in those situations, tells the white people like, hey no you know i'm white and no come on <laughs> so he really helps out he and it's great that's why you need a white person yeah yeah we need all hands on deck for this you guy. do you do but you need that person who's gonna you need a, a person who looks white but you need a, that person who looks white to also call out the white people behavior yeah. you can't just be the blacks so let, let's stick with identity for a second so you you went to boarding school a predominantly white boarding school in the uk yeah. um what was that like you know it was it was it, as i as i as i look back at it now it, it, it was um you know i said to, it's funny a lot of things we're talking about is something things i've been talking to Sharif about i said to myself to her the other day i said i'm glad i only went there for two years that type of experience a prep yep. british because I think if I would have stayed in there, you know, I don't know if I would have been this person, you know, because, you know, next is Eton and it's Harrow and it's, and who knows that trajectory. So I'm, I was, I'm very glad I did it because it definitely taught me a lot of, I mean, I was already independent, but it definitely gave me another kind of independence. I'm glad it was only for two years because I was the only black person there. Maybe there was another black person there. And, you know, if you're not around it enough as a young person, your culture, the vibe, you turn into someone else. I have a lot of cousins who went to, to boarding, you know, wonderful boarding schools in England and, and went on that kind of journey. And, you know, it, because they're, surround, they're not surrounded a lot by people who look like them, they start to retune and change. And because it's just that they're not around enough of the funk, you know? So, so it's, it's real. And it, it's also the sacrifice of, it's a deep sacrifice because it's a choice a parent has to make, a Black parent, who wants to send their kids to good schools, who has the financial ability, but you don't want your, your children to lose their culture. Yeah, you know, you want to give them the access, the opportunity. But you but don't want them to turn into like some, a young black boy who doesn't know who he is. Another question on identity. So black, African, queer man, is there one element that you sort of identify first or is it sort of depend on where you are or all Michael Munso all the time coming at you? He can switch. He can because you know he's lived in different places. No, he, he can switch. He can he can be very. Maybe sometimes the British influence is maybe too much. You know, I'm checking it now, and sometimes I I, I question it. Like, oh, that's because I was raised in Britain, you know, and you know, but but me, I wanna 
the one I want to hold up high is African black spirit. You know, I'm you. I'm that before I was even queer. Yeah. You know, that's what I, I, you know, that's the one I carry. If there's one I want to carry, you know, and people, sometimes they carry their, their, their sexuality in a way where it's like, it's the only thing they carry. It's just like, bro, calm down. You're a beautiful human being first. And then that's a blessing. If you're going to be queer, you know what I mean? I'm a, I'm, first of all, I'm lovely. I'm like this. I'm an African man and a spirit. And all, all those other things are blessings, you know? So, but that's how I see myself as a black African, as an African man. Yeah, I'm reflecting on an earlier interview I did with uh, my friend Adafe, who is a, he's a, he was a successful asylum seeking in Nigeria. And he went through some pretty traumatic things and actually successfully sought asylum after these things. And I I just wonder what being a gay or Africa is like. You know, if I would have lived there longer, who knows who I would have turned my vibe. You know, it was lucky that I came you know, when I left, because it's not easy trying to figure that out, being in some, being back home sometimes. In some places, it's really difficult, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a, And it leads me back to sort of bridging and using music and art. I, I, I'm very excited these past couple of years to see Lil Nas X out. He's great. I love him. I mean, he, he jumps genres and yeah, people love him from all stripes so i think wow that's a good sign beyonce dropped her new album and i know one of the tracks is with i didn't know but this big frida who is great i think in a, a female way but how awesome like beyonce is giving her blessing it's the second time they've collaborated like i think that's what it should be is like celebrate people and their talents right yeah and of course these are kind of myth-busting types of personalities, I think, I, I hope, because music is a bridging tool, I think. Oh, yeah, it's one of the great ones. You can, you can sort a lot of stuff out on music. Tell me a little about your process. How do you, how do you create? Well, I mean, it's, it's, there's many ways. A creative process, I mean, it's, it's interesting when you say that, because for me, it's, it's, it's always happening. You know, you're living in your, you're, you're, you're always thinking of melodies. You're always thinking of dance. You're always thinking of the show and how you can make it better. So, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm always in it, you know, and I think maybe more for me when I'm alone is, 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 is when I'm, when I'm in a sense, when I can focus in, you know, in a certain way, because also I, I, I have to balance you know, like I had a situation recently where, you know, we've been on the road, on the road, on the road. And because I'm also like the hustler of the partnership in the sense that, you know, I do the emails, I, you know, try and get the meetings, you know, Jonah puts a lot of the other stuff together, but I also carry those hats. So it took me a while when we got home a, f- a little few weeks ago to do that switch, you know, where actually I had to meditate and pray for the focus and the humility to get back and doing the emails and get back to that side of thing, because it can be a hard transition. Yeah. So for me, you know, it's being alone a lot, you know, in the creativity, but you know, there's different sides, there's different spirits you have because I, I wear a few different hats, you know? And, and you have the shakes. So you have all these collaborators, which is fun, but I hear you. I, I some of my best thinking and creative thinking is when I'm swimming or, mm-hmm alone yeah alone i like a busy productive life but there is something to be said for silence and um getting to a still place yeah i love being alone 
ladies and gentlemen, it's been a, a really fun afternoon with Michael Munt. So I'm going to let him have the last word as we always do. He is the <laughs> leader of the band, Wenso and the Shakes. Uh, Michael will tell us, where should we check you out? I think you're on at Michael Munso we, we, on we, Instagram. Instagram, we're on Instagram. That's really where you can, you know, Facebook, of course, but Insta is, is there and you, that, that would tell you where to find and what to do. And MichaelMwenso.com, M-W-E-N-S-O. For sort of a closure, what, what's your sort of, any pearls of wisdom advice to either young people starting out in their careers or people who are perhaps disrupted later in their careers about leading a fulfilled life or having a fulfilled career? You have to really believe, you have to really believe, you have to really believe, you have to really be strong, whatever you, whatever is, is, is you want to do. And, and to have some sort of practice, spiritual practice that guides you on the journey, you know, that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Can, can you give some, an example of how, what your spiritual practice? I, I feel that I, I try and live in a spiritual vibe, you know, I, 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 tr- I try and deal with meditation in a way and prayer and, and just try and live in that and try and really be, you know, strong in the power of, of, of manifestation too, you know, saying the things you want and not being afraid of it. So I, I try and practice that. It's hard. It's hard. You know, you're not, you know, you're, you're human, yeah. you know, so you have to just believe and have a, and have also at least love around you, you know. Yeah. I, I like that. I think of it as a sense of service. I mean, you are in service to others and the work you do, the beautiful work you guys do. And uh, it's a practice, but you do it. I try and do it with this show in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been really wonderful having some oh, time with you. Thank you. And I look too. forward to following you and catching up again. Um, and again, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a fun time today having Michael Wenso on from Wenso and the Shakes. Check them out. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Usnick. Please share your comments and questions with Toby via Twitter at T Usnick or LinkedIn at Toby Usnick. And thank you for sharing The Caring Economy with your friends and colleagues.